Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back. George Norrie with you. Martin Ball with us. Martin, so the psychedelic renaissance is underway. Explain what that is. Well, a psychedelic renaissance is kind of a phrase or term that's being used to talk about sort of this global phenomenon that is taking place right now where people around the world are getting interested in psychedelics. And that, um, actually, just to share something a little bit fun with you that relates back to an earlier question that you asked me about how I was doing through lockdown and all of that. Yeah. And, um, I participated in the Psilocybin Summit, which is an online conference that was held um, based out of Mount Tamalpais in California. And I had interviewed the organizer for that event for my podcast. And during the interview, he said that I was a psychedelic renaissance man. And <laughs> in, kind of a, in a punny way, in the sense that I'm, a, I'm an artist, I'm a musician, I'm an author, I'm a public speaker. You know, I do lots yeah. of different things. And so I use that phrase of the renaissance man. And so then, you know, in the lockdown, not having much more to do, I sat at my computer and, and I decided to be fun to make official psychedelic renaissance men and women certificates. And so I made these certificates and then I ended up emailing them out to colleagues of mine around the world, recognizing them as, as members of the psychedelic renaissance. But uh, anyway, that was just a, a little fun bit about that. But the psychedelic renaissance is this as I said, this phenomenon that's taking place around the globe right now that, you know, we've already talked a little bit about, we had the war on drugs, which really got started um, back in the 1970s and really under Richard Nixon. And prior to that time period, um, there had been a lot of research that was taking place in universities around psychedelics because they were looking at potential therapeutic uses as we, you know, talked about in the last segment, that, that they were looking at what are potential uses for psychedelics. And also, um, this is something that is being used by intellectuals, by scientists, and by philosophers. They were using it to augment their own experience and their own insights into reality. But all of this was made illegal, starting, you know, again, back in the 1970s. Mm -hmm. And it shut down all research on psychedelics here in the United States and then through the uh, United Nations resolution about war on drugs, that this was basically made illegal all around the world. And it spread the war on drugs from the United States everywhere else. It was exported. And so all research into psychedelics was stopped, though it had been going on for decades right. prior to that. And at this point, also we started to get bombarded largely with drug war propaganda that, oh, these are dangerous, you're going to lose your mind, you're going to think you can fly and you're going to jump off a building, and, you know, they're going to come and get your kids, and, you know, all this hysteria around drugs. But now we live in an era where research around psychedelics has been renewed at research universities across the globe. This is happening in the United States. It's happening in Mexico. It's happening in Canada. It's happening in Brazil. It's happening in Europe. It's happening in the United Kingdom. Um, this, is, this is going on all over the world now. And there's also been an explosion of conferences around psychedelic subjects um, that, you know, 10, 10 years ago, there were maybe three or four conferences around the world dealing with psychedelic substances. And now there's dozens of them 
Um, of course, you know, like all conferences and all public events, they're kind of everything's shifted to online, but they're taking place still now during the coronavirus and all of that. And there has been, um, beyond sort of the, the medical professional um, interest in psychedelics and the research that's being done, there also has been an explosion of interest at the spiritual, not the religious or personal level, where in, especially in Western cultures, you know, coming out of the last generations, there was um, really a great disenchantment with what gets called organized religion and sort of faith-based religion and the idea of follow the rules and you'll be rewarded in the afterlife or, you know, whatever. Um, many Westerners became disenchanted with that. And, you know, all of the public surveys show that fewer and fewer people in each upcoming generation identify as belonging to any particular religion. Yet many people still identify as being spiritual, that they have interest in spiritual experiences. And so we've seen not only an increase in interest in, say, meditation and yoga, but also in the spiritual and religious use of psychedelics. And this is also something that, again, is happening all around the world. And there are some religions that specifically have gotten religious freedom protections granted to them for the use of psychedelics as mm-hmm. sacraments within their churches. And there's numbers of retreat centers, you know, all around the world. And of course, in the United States, there are many underground practitioners that make these experiences available to people. Um, you know, like we were talking about in the last segment, you know, we're we're legalizing that at the therapeutic level for psilocybin here in Oregon, but this, you know, this is history making. This is groundbreaking that no other state, no other country has made that legal yet. So we're kind of a pioneer in that area here in Oregon. Um, but th- these are all different aspects of the psychedelic renaissance. And it's also, of course, influential in music and in art. And we can see it actually in all different areas of culture where you know, now on Netflix, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow got her Goop Lab show, and the very first episode was about psychedelic medicine, where right. she's interviewing right. Mark Hayden, who's the executive uh, director of MAPS Canada, the multidisciplinary... Well, and, you, and you recently published his book, didn't you? Yeah, that he uh, put together a multi-author book, which is called The Manual for Psychedelic guides. And so, yes, this is by Mark Hayden, the executive director of MAPS Canada. And he originally brought me on to the project as someone to just kind of review the book and then add anything that I might want. You know, he, he said, you know, at, at a professional level, you know, what, what would you add to this book? And so I added some things. And then he said, well, would you also like to edit it? And I said, sure, and I'll edit it. And then I wrote the foreword for it. And then I designed the cover for it. And then I ended up publishing it. So I became his publisher for the book. But this manual for psychedelic guides really covers, um, you know, an important development within the psychedelic renaissance is now that people are coming above ground, now that this is becoming legalized and really the value and significance is being recognized at the academic and at the professional level, now there's a need for guidelines for what are the professional ethics within this new burgeoning profession of psychedelic therapy. What does it mean to serve people in a way that respects boundaries and consent and provides a safe and secure environment for people to have what are often very deep and cathartic experiences, which can also be challenging and also scary. Um, So there's, you know, just so many ways 
that the psychedelic renaissance is, is happening around the world. And so these are just kind of little snippets of, of what it is. And it's also happening at a very regional level. Like I said, here in Oregon, we've just made some major changes. Um, there's also the decriminalization movement is looking at um, specific municipalities. Like it, it started in California in the city of Oakland. Where would, you, would you take people out of jail once these pass? Who've been in for these offenses? Yeah, but that's you know that that's part of the conversation. You know, it's just like what's happening with cannabis, with marijuana, where now it's most of the states in the United States have legalized it in some form. That's right. And that's so right. now there is, uh, and and really, like cannabis is kind of that's a psychedelic light in a sense. So it's kind of part of the psychedelic movement, it, but it's also its own thing. But that's certainly part of the conversation is, well, look, if we've been putting people in jail for marijuana and cannabis, we've got to let them out. And in fact, we might even owe them some reparations of some form for mm-hmm. having taken part of their life away for something that we now recognize is relatively benign and that it really wasn't legitimate to put them in prison in the first place. Um, and certainly that's part of the conversation around psychedelics. Now, psychedelics are not, in general, as widely used as, say, cannabis is. I mean, that's um, as many more users around the world because uh, it's a more casual experience, you know, psychedelic experience you really have to commit yourself to in some respects. Um, so I don't think that there's as many people really in prison for psychedelic usage, um, but that, I think, would be an important part of sort of this shift that we're having that for people who have been imprisoned for like making a religious sacrament available in an underground religious community, which has happened. You know, people have been put in jail for making ayahuasca available for their ayahuasca church. Then, yeah, I think those people, they should be let out of prison. Absolutely. Would you, would you support some kind of controlled substance uh, for people so they don't buy junk off the streets if these things become legalized? Yeah, that, you know... People really debate that a lot within the movement. So, you know, understand when you're asking me, you're getting my opinion, and there's lots of different voices. Oh, absolutely. Like the like sure. Renaissance. And I do support full legalization, which, again, is different than just decriminalization. The decriminalization is, again, we're not putting people in prison for it. But I do think that quality is important, that if people are taking psychedelic substances, that if it's all above board, if it's fully legalized, and people can run a business off it, and then you can also uh, maintain quality. Quality, monitor monitor it, uh, have things checked, and stuff like yeah. that. And then, of course... Uh, almost like an FDA type thing. Yeah, and, and you get tax revenue from that, and it only benefits the economy. So, you know, it's it's, I really think it's, it's a no-brainer, and that there's a place in the world for you know people to have their spiritual experiences with psychedelics, and there's also a place in the world for people to have a personal experience with psychedelics that you know not necessarily is about as you know therapy or about a spiritual experience, but maybe you know they just want to enjoy the creativity that comes with that, and that you should be able to go to a store and know that you're getting you know, the right molecule and that you know the proper dosage and you know the safety precautions and that by legalizing it, it makes all of that information more easily accessible 
for people. And then, yeah, you're not like buying something on a street corner and you don't really know, is this the right thing? Um, Because, you know, there are considerations for, you know, people who are on various kinds of psychiatric medications. Um, Sometimes they don't play well with certain psychedelic molecules. And so, again, the more above board all of this is, that we can have rational, accurate information about it, that it actually protects people's health. What would it what would it do to crime if everything was legalized? I mean, to, what what would it do to the Colombian drug lords and things like that? Well, they certainly wouldn't like it because it's the illegality of drugs that fuels the profit. You know, the the, the, drug, the drug cartels, right? That Absolutely, they, they, they don't want legalization because then they actually lose their power, they lose their influence. You know, like here. Here in Oregon, where we have both medical and recreational cannabis, you know, it's, there's no crime syndicates around it. And, you know, it gives jobs to people. And we don't have to be secretly importing marijuana from Colombia or something like that and, you know, evading the border patrol. And it, it's... And I, and I think street crime would go down because robberies attributed to them wanting money to buy drugs illegally, if they were legal and they had access to it, they wouldn't be robbing as many people for this. Yeah, yeah. It, it really changes the game. It changes the way that society is interacting with these substances. And the way that society is interacting with these substances right now and at the status quo level is highly dysfunctional. And so this is about really systemic changes that could be made that would be just, they're just beneficial. And, you know, the people who are against it, they all say, well, that's going to create more drug users and more addicts. And it's particularly when we're talking about psychedelics, you know, addiction is not an issue. These are not addictive substances that they don't have that property. You know, again, the decriminalization movement that they are looking at also addictive substances that can be very destructive to people's health. But see, putting those people in jail isn't helping them. Stripping them of their rights isn't helping them. Giving them health care, that would help them. And and that would help them a lot. What if they were driving and stuff? Does it impair their driving abilities? I mean, would you try to monitor it like, you know, alcohol consumption? Yeah, well, in that sense, that's, that's something that would need to be studied and then determined, like, what's a safe level and what's not a safe level. I mean, the same thing that we do with alcohol, that you have a blood alcohol content. And places that have legalized recreational marijuana and medical marijuana, you know, they've tried to develop systems for that. Um, but in some odd ways, I mean, I, I, I am not encouraging anyone to take a psychedelic and go driving. But it doesn't impair your abilities in the same way that alcohol does. And that each psychedelic itself is also different. And mostly, I mean, honestly, these substances, what they do is they provide people with an opportunity to go deep into themselves, deep into their own psyche, deep into their own minds and their own experience. And so people aren't taking psychedelics and driving around. What they're doing is they're taking psychedelics putting on a beautiful playlist of music, closing their eyes, shutting themselves up in a dark room, and having a deep, cathartic, and possibly even profoundly spiritually transformative experience over the next few hours. That's what they're doing. And Martin, that's the way that people want to use them, not, not 
I'm going to go on a joyride while I'm tripping. I mean, that's like the last thing you'd ever want to do. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.